Hey, <laughs> you got to let me do it first. Uh, John chapter 17 is where we're going to make our home today. Uh, to finish off the story, it's kind of fun to watch, walk through a complete book of the Bible. And while we didn't read every word in the text, we, we at least did a flyby of all of it. And the last two chapters tell the story of what happened after Jesus came back from the dead. He goes and he meets with his disciples. He, he comes and he meets with Peter. Peter was a man who actually denied that he even knew Jesus. And Jesus comes back and reinstates him in his discipleship group. And so we see Jesus carrying out his mission. But I'm going to jump, we're going to jump back in the story to a prayer Jesus prays. And that's where we're going to finish our time here uh, at Hume SoCal. Um, as you guys are turning there, it's been, it's just been an absolute honor and delight for both me and uh, for my sister and for our, our, all those kids back there. And you guys have taken care of them and um, you've been respectful, and so I just want to say a thank you and that we love you guys a lot, and um, it's, it's been an honor. So uh, we will never all be in the same tent again or the same room again, um, but those of us who are in Christ, we will see each other again face-to-face in glory, and that's going to be awesome, and we cling to that. Here's what it says. John chapter 17. This is It's just a a fascinating concept that Jesus prays. You thought about that? Jesus, who is God, spends time praying to his Father. Before the beginning of the world, before anything came into existence, before God made anything, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three parts of the Trinity, were in eternal communion, like an infinite dance with one another, loving caring for, looking after, in the communion, this dance with one another for all eternity. And so when Jesus becomes man, he feels the separation. He feels that, that, that desire to be with his Father and for the Spirit to comfort him. And so he spends time all the time praying to the Father in communication. And, and, and obviously, guys, if, if prayer is important for Jesus, who is God, it's, it's got to be important for us. Right? It's got to be of the utmost priority for us. Um, and so here's what we see. Ver- we're going we're gonna, to uh, go through verses 13 through 19. Here's what Jesus says. And you guys got to get this. When he's praying this, he has you on his mind. Okay? He's, he's thinking of the believer who's going to hear the story of Jesus, but then... The world is going to come at you, okay? Satan is going to make a play at you. Don't, don't, be, don't be deceived and don't be confused. If you made a stand for Jesus this week and your life all of a sudden starts to come apart at the seams, that Satan will come at you. He, he, he doesn't want you to have that. He doesn't want you to be in that. Don't, don't be surprised if you come into new relationships that are going to take you a side path. Don't, don't be confused if you get asked into a new friends group that's pulling away from Jesus. This is exactly the, the clever enemy's schemes. And I had two people ask me today, hey, how do I stay a Christian? It's like a really interesting question. It's a, it's a profound one. It's an important one. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about. How do you, let's say, uh, I want you to take a moment. We're going to do a little role play. I want you to be on your, uh, your, just pretend like you're on your deathbed, okay? You're like, it's a long time from now, way, way, way in the future, and you're sitting there, and you've got like this um, little slideshow 
you know, like digital slideshow next to your bed in, during your hospice care, and your family's all gathered around you, and they, on this little digital picture frame, flipping picture frame, frame thing, your grandkids are around you, your kids are around you, and here comes a picture of Hume SoCal 2022, and it's you at this age, and your grandkids think it's the funniest thing that you were once a kid too, Right? I, I don't know, I don't remember when I was when I, re- when I realized my dad was a kid once. It was a weird thing for me where I was like, wait a minute, you used to, okay. Um, but there's a picture of you and it comes up and, and, and your grandson looks at it and says, grandpa or grandma, was that you? And you go, oh, that was Hume SoCal. That was 2022. We went with this. I went with this church. I went with the, the church that, from the town that I was in or someone invited me to that thing. And for some of us, that, that, that will, for in a lot of cases, be part of our faith story for, the, for our ancestry. We will point at that and go, that's when everything changed. That's when the whole world was different for me. That's when I realized that I had worth and value in Jesus. That's when I realized I was made on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose. That was when I gave my life to Jesus. And that is why my kids, and that's why you as my grandkids, that's why we are a family who follows Jesus. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord because of what happened then. Or, for some of us, those pictures will come up and you'll go, oh, yeah, it was like a church camp. And your kids and grandkids are going to go, church camp? You went to church camp? Like, yeah, yeah. It was really cool, too. It was, like, super impactful. Well, then what happened? Mm, I don't know. It just didn't really set in. I didn't really keep going. I didn't really, I don't know. I still would think that there is a God, but I just, I'm not really into the whole Jesus thing. And, and, and I think when we look at it, we, we would desire to have this week be a, be a turning point for a lot of us or to be part of our faith story. And so the question comes out, then, then, then how do we do that? How do we, how do we remain in this faith? How do we continue when the, the devil's schemes are going to be against us, when the world is pushing back at us, when you grow up in a culture of truth that is telling you that what you hear, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, is, is completely uh, unacceptable to talk about, that there can only be one true belief system, that there's only one God, that, that Jesus' truth is the only truth, the whole world's against you, friend. How do I know that? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, they are going to hate you because of me. Jesus said, I'm going to send my people out like sheep among wolves. And so Jesus prays for you. Here's what he says. I am coming to you now, but but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He's saying, the people who follow me, you are physically in the world. There's no denying, right? The ground under our feet, it's, it's part of this massive uh, ball, normally mostly covered with water, liquid hot magma at its core. We're on planet Earth, but we are not of the Earth. We are not from here originally. We are citizens of heaven we are, it, it's what uh, C.S. Lewis says, every time the soul of a Christian is on planet Earth, it should always be homesick for a place it's never been yet. 
we live this way as Christians. I feel this way. I, I, remember, I remember feeling that way right after Paige died and probably ever since then. I just feel homesick. I've never been to heaven before. But man, I'm homesick for it. I want to be there. I want to be with him. I want to, I want to experience his glory. I, I, want to, I want to ask Abraham some weird questions, you know? Like, I want to see, my best friend was killed in Afghanistan in 2017. Like, I want to see, I just want to know all the cool spots he's found and all the cool, like, taco trucks that he's seen. Like, I just want to know. But Jesus says, there's a time, it's what Megan said in the video, between now and not yet. We live here in the now, but also we're not at the yet yet. So Jesus says, they're not of this world, even though they're in the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. So Jesus says, they're useful here. They need to spread the gospel. They need to share the good news. They need, we need to change the, the future populations of heaven and hell. We want more people with the king and less people apart from him. We want that. They've got use here. I'm not asking you to take them all and take them up with you right now, but I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them and set them apart. Set them apart by your truth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if they were just people of truth, they would, always be, they would already be super weird in the world. If you were just a truth people, if you were just an absolute truth, God is the king, that is the truth of the universe, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, you're already going to be weird to the world. I mean, set apart. Set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Set apart, different, holy. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to finish by giving you just three points. You've had a long week. You've listened to me talk for hours over the past week. I want to give you three. Okay, well, no, you don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't, uh, um, but I just want to conclude, and it's going to be, it's going to be quite a bit shorter tonight, and here's what I want to do, I want to give you three things, that um, one of the privileges that I've had is for the past 11 years, I just resigned from my home church, North Coast Church in San Diego, California, in February, um, just so I can spend more time with the kids in kind of the wake of everything that happened, and so, uh, but for 11 years previously, I worked with the young adults and the 11th and 12th graders at North Coast Church, and it's a, it's a pretty good-sized church, and so you get to talk to a lot of people who wrestle with this, and I get to, I get to run camps, and we would go to Hume Lake as a church and everything, and this is one of the most popular things that you would find, is kids would go up, students would go up, young adults would go to some retreat, some camp, and they'd come back, and two weeks later, they'd be sitting in my office, and they would go, what happened? I was, so, I was so on fire for God. I was so in it. I, was, I loved reading the word. I loved devotional time. I loved talking with my friends about Jesus. I loved worshiping. And now I'm back for two weeks. And it all just, just kind of fizzled out. It just all kind of simmered out. And I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to stay in this. I don't know how to remain in this. I don't know how to keep this going. What do I do? And I, I would, I'll tell you, probably after 11 years of working, if I had to take all of the most common mistakes or trip-ups or lies or problems that students come across, that you will come across, I would controvert them. I would, I, I would be able to solve almost all of those problems if you would take seriously these three things. 
if you will do these three things in response to this week, and, and the things that I'm asking you to do are not things that you're capable of doing. But if you are in Christ, the power of the gospel says that once you follow Jesus, God now lives inside of you. His spirit now lives inside of you. And the spirit that he gave us, the New Testament says, is not of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-control. So you can do this because it's not you who's going to do this. It's, it's the king living inside of you. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Here's the three things that I would give you. If you go, I don't want this to be a one-off week. I don't want this to be a, you know, a firework. What a great week. And then it's gone, right? But if you want this to be a consistent, the, the, Paul in the New Testament talks about it being a marathon, this long run. He says, I have to beat my body and make it my slave so I can finish the race that Christ has set before me. That race is to know, love, cherish, and follow Jesus until the day that you die. And to bring as many people to heaven with you as you can. How do you do that? You don't. The Spirit of God living inside of you does. Here's the three things. Number one. Know the truth of God over feeling who God is. Know the truth of God rather than just simply trying to feel who God is. Guys, our cultural moment says this phrase again and again and again. Follow your heart, culture says. Trust your instincts, culture says. Trust your heart. Do what makes you happy. Look out for number one, me. Right? It's Napoleon Dynamite. Follow your heart. That's what I do. You know, it's like... Do you guys watch Napoleon Dynamite? Is that like, I believe you didn't exist when that movie came out. Yeah, I was in high school when that movie came out. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. We have this idea that whatever we feel is what we should do. And culture has kind of given you permission to do so, right? This is... Almost every movement in pop culture right now is all about pursuing whatever you feel like doing, and no one can tell you that you're wrong. No one can tell you that what you're doing is inappropriate. No one can tell you that what you're doing is not okay, as long as it's what you feel and what you want to do. Here's what the Bible says about your heart. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says this, for the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and capable of being tamed. So when we rely on the way that we feel about God in order to understand him, you're not going to be in a good place. Let, let me just put a, a real life example to it. Um, after Paige died, like singing songs like You're a Good, Good Father or Great Are You, Lord, that we just sang, that was really hard. You know what I mean? Like when you watch your wife descend into mental illness and you get a call that she's killed herself, you don't. It's really hard to rectify how can God be a good God. And so when you ask me in, the, in the, the, the moments and the days, even the weeks following, does God feel like a good God to you? I would have said, before you finish your sentence, I would have said no. Does God feel like a gentle? No. Does God feel like a caring father? No. But if you ask me, what do you know about the God of the universe? I would have said he's a good God. I know he's a good God because the scripture tells me he's a good God. 
And so I found myself in my life doing the things that I would have done if I believed in my heart that he was a good God. You see, I can't control my feelings all the time. How do I know that? Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceptively wicked and beyond repair. Who can tame it? I can't tame my own heart, but I can train my volition. I can train my will. I had to start practicing worshiping, even though I did it through gritted teeth. I had to start singing songs. Why? Because I know the truth that God is still good, even when I don't feel like he is. You need to know that. God is still a fair and honest judge, even when you don't think that he is, even when you don't feel like he is. That God is still very present with you, even when you feel alone. These are all lies. And if you keep reverting back to this is how I feel, this is, this is, this is what I this is, what I, this is what it seems like around me. Don't worry about that stuff. That will come. Feelings, will, feelings wane, man. Feelings like a roller coaster, right? Like junior high relationships. Like here today and gone tomorrow. But not yours, though. Sorry. Yours is going to last. Um, um, So know, know God. How do you know God? You read the Bible. It's like the most pastory thing. It almost like makes me cringe when I say it. But you're like, did the pastor really just tell us to read the Bible? <laughs> yes. Because that's how God talks to us. He talks to us through his word. And that's how you'll know when God is speaking to you. Because it will align with his word. And if you just walk around feeling like God's talking to you, be careful, friends. Because much of the time, that's not him. And you'll know that because you know his word. You'll know what's real and what will be fake. Number two, practice true repentance. Okay? Repentance, it, this is literally when, when, I talked about it last night, when Peter is at the southern steps of the temple and the thousands are gathered to ask, what do we do now that we understand this? Peter's response is this, and I quote, friends, this Jesus, who is God, came to you, but you did not believe him, and so you killed him. So the people respond, what shall we do now? Peter says, repent and be baptized. The word repent comes from, it's this word metanoia in the Greek, but it means to change your mind, to readjust the way that you're living. In, in military terms, it means to do like a complete about face. It's a 180 degree turn the other direction. And here's what I mean by practice true repentance. First of all, um, repentance is not the same thing as feeling sorry for what you've done. Those aren't the same thing. Repentance means it's strategizing against that sin in the future. It's a strategy. But a lot of us, when we sin, we think as long as I cry and feel really bad about it, that's what repentance is. That's not repentance. It's good that the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to our heart. Not shame, not embarrassment, not condemnation. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But when we feel a conviction from the Spirit to stop doing a certain behavior, the biblical response to that is not just to go, oh, God, I'm so sorry. Is that a part of it? Yes, that's confession. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the New Testament tells us. But then it says repent. That means... If you've got a sin that you keep walking into, okay, so let's say uh, you take off from your house and you take two lefts and a right 
then you go up 100 feet and you take a left and you arrive at Walgreens. If the next day you get up and you take a two lefts, then a right, you go down 100 feet and take a left, where are you going to be? Walgreens. But if it's on Saturday and you get up in the morning, you take two lefts, then a right, you go 100 feet and then take a left, where are you going to be? Walgreens. You want to know why? Because it is not your intention that determines your destination. It is your direction. It is your direction, not your intention, that will determine the destination of your sin. It's, it's not what you mean to do. It's what you set in place to stop doing the things that you know you're not supposed to do. For a lot of us, if you struggle with pornography and you've got it on your phone and your parents aren't keeping watch over it and you've got it at your bedside at night and that's where you always fall into the temptation of looking at pornography and one night you conquer it and you don't do it. Repentance doesn't mean going back in that same place and tempting yourself with it again and again day after day. That's not victory, friend. It is to change something. I work with a group of um, high schoolers. This is probably one of my favorite experiences in my 10 years of being a youth pastor. I asked this group of, it was 22 dudes. They're all 18-year-olds. And I said, how many of you guys struggle with pornography? 22 hands go up. And I asked them this question. I said, did you know that pornography is addictive, just like cocaine is addictive, just like anything else? It literally, it, it triggers the same part of your brain that is triggered when someone takes a hit of a hard drug. Pornography elicits that same thing. It's a dopamine response. It's a neuroplasticity response. Did you know that you actually can be addicted to pornography? It's, it's, it, can be a phys, it can become a physical addiction. It's, it's a rewiring of your brain. So I said, how many of you guys, if your parents got into hard drugs and you had to go live in a foster home, and so in order to get you back, they had to stop participating in those hard drugs, but they always kept those hard drugs in their pocket everywhere they went. And they kept falling back into using and using and using. How many of you would take your parents seriously that they genuinely wanted to kick the habit? You wouldn't. When you go to rehab, what's the first thing they do? Take your drugs away. You can't have them in your room while you're going through rehab. That's nonsensical. So in a group, 22 guys, 18 of them, two weeks later, had flip phones. Why? Because they took their sins seriously. It's, sin is a, it can become a chasm in our relationship. with. We don't want that. And so repentance means a new path. So these guys are going, right? They're getting made fun of at school because they got flip phones. And yet you walk up to them and you go like, hey, Grayson, how long has it been since you've looked at porn? Four months, bro. Boom. I'm like, that's victory. Here's what Jim, uh, Jim Elliott said. He was actually killed in Ecuador trying to witness to a tribe um, in Ecuador. And he says that he wrote this in his journal. He said, he is not a fool who gives up what he must give up to keep that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he must to keep what he refuses to lose. A flip phone, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Repentance means doing something different. It means if you have a relationship at home and you keep crossing boundaries, you keep doing inappropriate things, you keep doing that, it means stopping the relationship for some of us. For some of us, it's a friends group where every time we go somewhere, we're gossiping or we're bullying people, we're doing that stuff. It means getting a new friends group. Okay? This is what the Bible taught. This is what repentance means. It means changing something about my behavior so that I don't keep practicing the same sin. Take your sin seriously because God takes it really seriously. Sin muddies everything. 
It hurts our relationship with Jesus. It creates static on the line with the Holy Spirit's movement in our heart. And, and, it's, and, and God just has a life better for you than that. Third, number one, know God over feelings. Number two, practice true repentance. And number three is this. Take divorce off the table with your local church. Okay? I'm, I get a little passionate about this one because I, I'll, I'll put it like this. I worked at Olive Garden for three years, okay? When you hear your family. When I was in college, that is how I helped pay for my schooling. I worked at the Olive Garden. And when you get the Olive Garden, the Olive Garden's a chain restaurant. Like, the breadsticks come on a big pallet every morning, already pre-made. I mean, sorry if you, like, are a um, shareholder in Olive Garden. I'm not trying to ruin your stock price. But, like, it's, you know, it's not high-class dining. The food can be delicious. There's some really good stuff there. But it's... You're not really in Italy, friend. You know what I mean? Like, that pasta fajoule and that, like, chicken parm, it comes like that. No one's in the back, like, coating things. That's not, that's not, okay. Anyway. So people would come in, though, and they'd be like, <clears throat> yeah, table for two, please. They're, like, super fancy. Like, a table for two, please. And they would sit at my table, and I'm, like, a college student, and I'm, like, I walk up to their table. And I'm, like, hey, uh, welcome to the Hospitaliano experience. My name is Chris and I will be your server today. Can I start you off with some kind of a pairing, or can I, is there a wine that you'd be interested in sampling? And if they even give you the time of day to talk to you, but normally they look at their menu and they're like, what would you say your name was? Brittany? Yeah. Was that your guess? Your guess is that my name was Brittany? Okay, whatever. Uh, you can call me whatever you want. Just leave me a big tip. Um, but this is a legitimate thing that happened. We, at Olive Garden, we served a, an iced tea called Bellini Raspberry Peach Iced Tea, okay? But on the menu, they actually separated it, and they made it Bellini Peach Iced Tea and Bellini Raspberry Iced Tea. It was the same thing, okay? The, in, in the back, there's not like a Bellini Peach thing and like a Bellini Raspberry thing. There's one Bellini Peach Ice, Raspberry Peach Iced Tea vat, and you, you garnish it based on what they ordered. So if someone orders Bellini peach iced tea, you put a peach in the top and you serve it to them. If they order, sorry, if they order raspberry, you put a raspberry on top and you serve it to them like that. So this, this woman orders Bellini raspberry iced tea. And so I go in the back and I put a peach in it on accident. I know, it's a terrible thing to do. And here's what she does. She gets it. And she drinks a little bit, and she goes, excuse me, I ordered the Bellini raspberry iced tea, and I went, I'm so sorry. She legitimately, she looks at me, she goes, thank you. She takes a drink, she goes, "Mm -hmm, that's more like it. I'm like, homie, it's the same thing. I'll serve you the same thing. But I tell you that to tell you this. When you go into the Olive Garden, you are the one, you walk in, and you're the customer. And the customer's always right. You've got money in your pocket, and from corporate down to the general manager of the store, down to the waiter, you are the one that's in charge. Because you've got money, and that's how the whole system works. So you can walk in, and someone will be like, 
like legitimately, there's a whole restaurant full of 120 people eating, and the person at your table will go, it's a little bit too cold in here for me. Could you turn the air up a little bit? Could you just, could you just make it a little bit warmer in here? And you're like, oh, yeah, for sure. Let me make, take care of you, and the other 120 people in here can just deal with it, right? We'd always be like, oh, yeah, for sure. Let me, I'll tell my manager. But it, 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 was, it was nonsense. Why? Because you're a consumer. Consumers walk in like kings. You drive down the road, and you see, oh, here's a sign for Olive Garden. Here's a sign for, for uh, Pizza Port. Here's a sign for all these places. And you're like, where shall I spend my money? Where shall I... Where shall I honor these people with my presence? Where shall I do the great gift of, of uh, going to their establishment? And the people, oh, please come in. Please, please, we, we want you. Yeah, we've got a coupon for you. We've got 50% off. Here's a problem. Churches aren't like that. But we are so inundated as consumers that we treat church like Olive Garden. We go in, and we, almost like Anton Ego from Ratatouille, like the food critic, we're like, <clears throat> is this the youth room? It smells like feet. Oh, worship. Here comes some worship. What do we got for worship this week? Better be Oceans, friend. If it's not Oceans on repeat, I'm leaving. And the band is made up of some high school kids and whatever because the adults at the church, too, don't volunteer because this is their Olive Garden, too, and you're just trying to hack it through. And you look at your youth pastor, who a lot of them are either working bivocational or remarkably underpaid for their skill set because if they're able to communicate and they're able to sell the idea of camp and other things to you, you better believe they would make it in the corporate world really well. But they're in your youth room. Why? Because they love you and they feel and they understand how important the call is to ministry. It's, it's like uh, D.L. Moody once said, if the Lord has called you to ministry, never stoop so low to become a king. But abused and messed up and with 13 emails from 14 different parents, from every Brenda and Karen in the whole county, they're sorting through that. And then they get into the youth room and they've got you walking in, criticizing every single thing. Let me tell you why this is important. It will wreck, tarnish, and stain your heart. If you look at the church as something that exists to serve you. And so here's what we'll do. We'll go into the church and we'll go, as soon as this church makes me mad, doesn't serve what I like, or if I feel like I'm not being fed appropriately, then I'm going to go into the next church. Listen to me. Listen to me. If a church is teaching wrong things, go somewhere else. Okay? If a church isn't feeding you spiritually, that was never its job. The new, the new international version of the Bible is written at a fourth grade level. Friend, feed yourself. The church exists so that you as a believer can walk in the doors and be part of Jesus' mission to save the unsaved, to move people from objects of God's wrath to objects of his love. You are a part of the team now. If you are at Olive Garden, you're no longer getting waited on. You're part of the kitchen staff. You come to help. You come to serve. You know how much more difficult it is for, to leave a church when it's your family and not the place that you go to get fed? It will change your heart. I needed this in my life. When I stopped being a critic and started loving the church like Jesus loved the church, and if you're critical of the church all the time, 
and you're hating on the church all the time, and you're gossiping about the church all the time, that is the church that Jesus died to save. And you will not be close to a husband where you gossip, slander, and criticize their bride all the time. I can tell you as someone who loved and deeply respected my wife to this day, if you disrespect Paige, we're going to have a problem. We're going to have an issue. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's like, love my church. Love it. Be a part of it. Serve. Because I want you to know the joy of serving the church and not criticizing it. It changes us from the inside out. If you do those three things, I'm going to bet that for most of our issues, that going down this hill is going to take us away from what we've committed to, from what we've learned, from what we've decided, that a lot of our biggest issues will be solved. Not all of them. Not all of them. But if I had to take 11 years of these questions and boil them down into three things, these are the three most prominent ones. Know the truth. Don't feel who he is. Number two, practice true repentance. And number three, take divorce off the table with your local church. Link arms with your youth pastor and say, bud, what are we doing this week? How can I help? Who needs to know Jesus who set me in their direction and light me on fire and like a firework, I'm going after him, right? You'll change the world. Thank you. That's, that's, um, if you will, I'm going to end with, I'm going to end with this. For some of you, if you've been critical of your youth pastor, just pull him aside tonight and, and apologize. It's what Christians do. We confess our sins. We apologize. We make things right. Some of you need to look at your youth pastor tonight, your youth leader, your counselor, your small group leader, who you are the biggest punk to, and you need to apologize. And you need to switch the way that you do stuff, because that's what Jesus has called us to be. This week has been nothing short of impactful for me and important for me and my family. I want to thank you guys. I love you guys very much. Let's finish in prayer. Thank you. Let's pray. Thanks. Let's pray. Jesus, would you instill in our hearts this passion to know you more? But would we seek the truth of who you are inside of your word? Would we pray and be in communication with you? Would we become so familiar with your voice in our life through the reading of your word and the understanding of your, of your text that we're able to dis- decipher what you want from us and what, and what you would have us know? Would we take this idea of truth and would it become a new anthem for our lives that you are the way, the truth, and the life in my soul? You'll be the way, the truth, and life for my family. And may this just be the beginning of a life lived in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.